Happy day, Rosel Garcia with Why Jesus, hoping that you are having a fabulous day that you have managed to, despite all the chaos and confusion out there, that you managed to relax and fill your empty glasses so that you can rest and strengthen yourself spiritually for this next week. That's kind of what I look forward to doing every Sunday. And I am grateful that I do have a day where I can slow down a little bit and reflect on the things that are important to me. And most importantly, that I can reflect on the things that I'm doing to stay on the path closer to God and my Savior. And so, welcome everyone. I am happy to be with you and to share some of the things that are important um, to me, but what it is I enjoy about what I share is that it pertains to all because we are all children of God and he loved, lo loves us unconditionally despite our imperfections, despite the fact that some of us may want to follow him and some of us may not. It does not matter to him. We are still his children and he is trying to guide us in a way that we may allow him to bless us at all levels in life. And literally, he cannot bless us unless we allow him to. And so I'm grateful for his tender mercies that have taught me how to get closer to him throughout my life especially during hard times. So I'm hoping that all of you out there may be able to find some of that joy and peace and strength that I've been able to find in my life despite uh, the fact that my world may be crumbling around me. So welcome everyone. We're grateful that you're here. It doesn't matter what faith you have or not. We're just glad to share the glad tidings of great joy from God and Jesus Christ. So we are looking onto the Come Follow Me manual. We are in week 26 through November 1st. And this section is called I Would That I Could Persuade All to Repent. And there's subsections here called I Can Live Righteously Despite the Wickedness Around Me. Godly Sorrow Leads to True and Lasting Change. I Should Always Acknowledge God's Hand in My Life. And Jesus Christ Stands with Open Arms to Receive Me. So... It's a pack full 
discussion, if you want to put it that way. I don't know if people call it discussion when someone is just talking, but you can discuss it among you after you listen to the readings. And most importantly, you can discuss it with God, who is the creator of it. So, um, several ways that you guys can find this. Uh, one, the Come Follow Me manual. You can go into a desert book store and buy it there. Several languages. Or you can go to the free, um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints app. And find it under the library section. Come Follow Me individuals and families and then you click on Book of Mormon and then you find the week that we are covering and the last way that you can get this is by going to LDS.org and doing a come follow me search and then doing the same thing going to individual and families Book of Mormon and then the week that we are covering so I hope that all of you may be able to get your hands on one of these. And I'm always impressed uh, and reassured that this is here to enlighten us. This is here for God. Um, wanted us to know how to live day by day under our current circumstances. And he's managed to give us guidance through this for these days and times that we're experiencing. So I am going to read to you for most of the parts so that you can truly feel the impact of these writers and um, look into it further. I don't do well at summarizing um, because I just cannot completely convey the incredible message that is here for all of us. So previous podcasts, we talked about how Jesus Christ was visiting and left his church established in this part of the world as he did in the old world. He uh, chose 12 apostles, taught the gospel, did marvelous miracles, but most importantly, he showed the people here that he was, in fact, Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world. They were able to verify who he was by touching the marks of the nails on his feet, hands, on his bosom, and they were able to receive marvelous healings and miracles from him as he prayed for them and blessed them. And these people in the last episode, I mentioned were bitter enemies, the two divided nations, um, constantly a war, one that followed God and one that didn't, one that um, looked up to God for guidance and the other one that was angry at those that looked up to God because they felt that they had taken their rights to power or political leadership. And so these were two just great groups at war constantly. And when the Savior came to visit, 
There could not be a happier people on the face of the earth. All the division that there was before went away. There was no lying, envying, murderers, nor races. They all just saw each other as just one people. And I cannot even begin to tell you how I wish that that was what we're living today. But we have these readings and these scriptures for the very purpose that we can learn from the past and history. And we can see that when these people accepted Jesus Christ and who he is as their savior, that he blessed them all to change their hearts and minds towards each other. And so there's a message there. We can achieve the same thing. And that is why we have it. So here we are many years later, the first, second, and I believe the third generation of those that witnessed the Savior's visit had passed away. And now the other generations who did not get to witness, who only heard things from their fathers and ancestors, did not truly believe. They just started separating themselves and building up churches that let them sin or do as they pleased. Um, and so there began to be division again and races and, you know, rich versus poor, you know, educated versus non-educated, you name it. What we have today existed there. Um Again, so these people left the record, and that record is what we're reading today, so we can find out how we can improve. So here is the man that compiled all the previous writings from other prophets in this land, summarized some of it, put them all together, and his name was Mormon. And so, because he compiled everything and because he was the last, one of the last people to handle these, um, the, the book is named after him. But that does not mean it's his book. He wrote it. It means he just had a great responsibility to keep him safe for us, that they may get to our hands for us to learn from them. So he is talking to us, and here we go. Mormon spared us the full account of the awful scene of wickedness and bloodshed that he saw among the Nephites. But what he did record in Mormon 1 through 6 is enough to remind us how far righteous people can fall amid such pervasive wickedness. No one could blame Mormon for becoming weary and even discouraged. Yet through all that he saw and experienced, he never lost his sense of God's great mercy and his conviction that repentance is the way to receive it. And although Mormon's own people rejected his pleading invitations to repent, he knew that he had larger audience to persuade. Behold, he declared, I write unto all the ends of the earth. 
In other words, he wrote to you. And his message to you today is the same message that could have saved the Nephites in their ways, in their day. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So here he is, pretty much all alone, one of the last survivors of the Nephites. Uh, and he could not believe that such a righteous people could dwindle in unbelief and leave behind all the teachings of Jesus Christ and just have become carnally minded and just part of the world just after the lusts of their eyes and their hearts and pride. And so he literally got to see the carnage, the destruction of these people. And he's trying to save us here in the future and saying, uh, I hope you're never in the same spot, but I kind of know already because you were shown unto me by the Savior. So I'm going to read a few scriptures here that tell us um, how he felt. And so this is what he says. And now behold, I, Mormon, do not desire to harrow up the souls of men in casting before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as was laid before mine eyes. But I, knowing that these things must surely be made known, and that all things which are hid must be rebuilt upon the housetops. Let me read that little part again. To me, it has double meaning. It says... And that all things which are hid must be revealed upon the housetops. A couple of things. One, he was hiding. He was about to hide this precious record and scriptures that his family had compiled through their lives here in the Americas as they came from Jerusalem and landed in the promised land and they were told that as long as they lived the commandments they should prosper in the land well they did that throughout and then they didn't and that is what we have to learn um, to choose and do ourselves but then the visit of the savior came and he changed everything their hearts and minds were one towards each other Love and unity and equality reigned after his visit. And you would think those people would never fall away from that again. And yet, they were once tempted once they became so prosperous and wealthy and rich to once again divide and think they were better than others etc and so all these writings from these prophets all the warnings and uh, the calls to repentance and all of that are in these writings that mormon compiled from other prophets 
and he was literally going to hide them on the earth because he knew they were meant to come out and be shouted off from the rooftops um, and teach the world again about Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so that is one way I can look at what Mormon said here. And the other way that could not be any more perfect for our day and time is that the truth will always come out no matter how much we try to hide it. It will be screamed out from the rooftops. And I am so grateful to know that the truth of God will always prevail, that the lies and the deceit from Satan that he harbors in people's hearts and minds when they think they are more clever in hiding truth from people, they think they can get away with it. They may, in fact, get away with it for a time, but sooner or later, all the truth will come out and it will be shouted out from the rooftops in a way that everyone that tried to hide the truth will be exposed. And so that just gives me so much comfort to know especially in our day, that God is over us. He is in charge. He is letting us choose what we want. But eventually, we will have to stand before him to be judged. And that is what Mormon is telling us in a few other scriptures that I have here. I'm going to get to that. He tells us here, let's see here. On It says here, And also that ye may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you, and also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witness besides him whom they saw and heard that Jesus, whom they slew, was the very Christ and the very God. And I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So the writings of the Book of Mormon are here as a second witness to the Bible, as a second witness to the Jews who crucified the Savior. They are here to testify to the whole world of his divinity and of his love for us. And yes, as Mormon says there, he wants to persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's trying to persuade us to change our minds from where we currently are to have God and Christ in our lives and not to get rid of them like the previous Nephites did. 
I cannot begin to tell you how much that is relevant in our life today with the present status in our politics it could not be more clear we either have a system with God in our lives or a system without God and I don't know about you but I have no clue none whatsoever why a group of people would think that their intelligence their expertise their God-given talents are better at deciding the fate of a nation than the very God who created them and feeling like they do not need his divine hand to guide them in the affairs of this nation. I cannot even conceive of the thought that we could think we can do better than God at making decisions and guiding a nation. But nonetheless, we all have the right to choose and that is people's rights. But again, I have a second witness on these writings that are telling us, you can choose that and this is what happened to those people or you can choose to have God and Christ in your life and you can be like those people that had everything in common that they were one and there was equality in the land nor richer nor poor there could not be a happier people on the face of the land and they all prospered exceedingly in every way shape or form why on earth would I not follow that route if I am reading from the people that lived here before us that that is what happened when they kept God and Christ as part of their daily life and their daily way of guiding the people and their nations. It could not be any more clear, but I am sharing this and hope that those of you out there who do not have this may cleave on and find and research and get your hands on the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and read for yourselves and find out for yourselves and get strength and have God lead and guide you and your beautiful little families through these hard times that we are facing and will continue to face. So, I am grateful for Mormon who had the courage, despite being left uh, to literally himself and being persecuted and literally killed almost because he believed in the Christ. And so the second part that I'm going to read says, Godly sorrow leads to true and lasting change. So... In here, 
I am going to read. It says, when Mormon saw his people's sorrow, he hoped they would repent, but their sorrow was not unto repentance. It was not the kind of godly sorrow that leads to real change. Instead, the Nephites felt worldly sorrow. To understand the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, and he gives us a chart and scripture. So there's scriptures in Second Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. So I'm going to go there. So Second Corinthians. Well, first I'm going to read what Mormon meant by godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow so he says but behold this my joy was vain for their sorrowing was not unto repentance because of the goodness of god but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned because the lord would not always suffer them to take happiness and sin what the sorrow they felt is oh no my way of life is being destroyed and i no longer can continue in my life of sin. There's that kind of sorrow, I guess, and then the kind of sorrow that makes us truly find the love of God and helps us change for the better, to become a new person. That is godly sorrow. And so Second Corinthians explains it this way for thou for though I made you sorry with a letter I do not repent though I did repent for I perceive that the same epistle had made you sorry though it were but for a season now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry but that ye sorrowed to repentance for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort... What carefulness is wrought in you? Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Yea, what indignation? Yea, what fear? Yea, what vehement desire? Yea, what zeal? Yea, what revenge? In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this manner. That to me is not as clear as that what I read before, but I do like the fact that it mentions that godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. And that sorrow of the world worketh death. It could not be more clear. So one allows us to change and the other one leads us to destruction. Our own destruction. And so in this section... 
there is, as I've mentioned, this godly sorrow says it brings us unto Jesus, and yet the world's sorrow makes us curse God and anchor anger towards God. I don't know about you, but you always hear people say, well, if there was a God, he wouldn't let, you know, people get hurt. He wouldn't let people feel sorrow or pain, you know. In their eyes, God would just bring them happiness all the time. And I, I'm just thinking, okay, let's look at it as a parent here. As a parent, children love it when we give them all the candy they want, all the toys they want, and everything they want, and that we let them do whatever they feel like, whether it's good or bad, that we just kind of sit here and watch them and just hand everything to them. Or, as most parents know, we... help them make good choices and good decisions. We give them a good example as to how to deal with people, with the world, but that all means they don't always get what they want. In fact, when we give them structure, which is rules or commandments or ways of living, they don't like us a whole lot. But as they grow older, they realize, wow, we really needed that in our lives and our parents stuck to that and that made us better. Then if we would have just let them do as they pleased and then you know, honestly, some of us have done that for a while. And we saw the horrible ramifications of that. And then we changed our ways and started implementing some rules and some, you know, ways of doing things as a family that led to better choices. And so God is teaching us through being parents how he deals with us as well, except he's perfect. He hasn't made any of these mistakes we have, but he knows that we must choose for ourselves, but he also knows that he must guide us or at least show us an example of how it needs to be done so that we can then choose for ourselves which example we want to follow. And we find those examples in the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And they are called either, you know, it's either he teaches us the blessings that can come from following his commandments and his rules as a parent. Or he tells us the warnings of, uh-oh, the decisions you're making are going to lead you down this path. Look what happened to these people. And yet we can choose that as well. But he, as a parent, is perfect and has given us the right examples. And he did it through Mormon. It's a recount of 
the history of these people. So I am going to read to you the part here. I really do think this is just awesome the way he said it. So I'm reading Mormon 2 verses 10 through 15. Excuse me. And it says, And it came to pass that the Nephites began to repent of their iniquity and began to cry even as they had been prophesied by Samuel the prophet. For behold, no man could keep that which was his own. For the thieves and the robbers and the murderers and the magic art and the witchcraft which was in the land. Thus there began to be a mourning and a lamentation in all the land because of these things. And more especially among the people of Nephi. And it came to pass that when I, Mormons, saw their lamentation and their mourning and their sorrow before the Lord, my heart did begin to rejoice within me, knowing the mercies and the long suffering of the Lord, therefore supposing that he would be merciful unto them, that they would again become righteous peop a righteous people. But behold, this my joy was vain, for their sorrowing was not unto repentance, because of their goodness of God, but it was rather the sorrowing of the damned because of the the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness and sin. And they did not come unto Jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits, but they did curse God and wish to die. Nevertheless, they would struggle with the sword for their lives. And it came to pass that my sorrow did return unto me again, and I saw the day of grace was passed with them, both temporally and spiritually. For I saw thousands of them hewn down in open rebellion against their God, and heaped up as dung upon the face of the land. And thus three hundred and forty and forty-four years had passed away. This is sheer sadness, people. This part where he says, I saw thousands of them hewn down in open rebellion against their God. I, I am praying. I am working so that I can strengthen myself spiritually so that I am not one of these that gets hewn down or that I could at some point become so discouraged and so distraught by all the carnage that we're about to deal with in the future that I would then go in open rebellion about my own God because of all the horrible scenes that I may be witnessing in the future. I hope and pray that we will do our best to turn to God and Jesus Christ so that we can be spared like Mormon was spared. He was not killed by the Nephites. He died. He might have died by himself, but nonetheless, he still felt God's mercy and love till the end. And so I hope that we 
can stay true to the God we know so that we can end our days like Mormon did until the, the Lord and Savior reigns again when he comes for the second coming and he takes over this world and um, cleans it out from all this wickedness and sin uh, and prepares it for the next life. So, friends, know that God is extending his hands to you. Um, this next part, it says, I should always acknowledge God's hand in my life. You know, here it is, this horrible... We have two choices. One, um, that we would curse God and be in open rebellion against him for the bad things that we witness, that we think if there was a God, he wouldn't let this happen. Well, we do forget that we bring our own destruction to ourselves for not having God in our lives. And then yet we still blame him for what we go through life. But there's the other way that Mormon says, and that is if we acknowledge God's hand in our lives, we will not feel abandoned in these dark days ahead. So it says here, Mormon recorded a weakness he saw in the Nephites. They failed to acknowledge acknowledge the ways the Lord had blessed them. President Henry B. Eyring urged us to find ways to recognize and remember God's kindness. Pray and ponder, asking the questions, Did God send a message that was just for me? Did I see his hand in my life or in the lives of my children? I testified that he loves us and blesses us more than most of us have yet recognized. And then he tells us to read on Mormon 3, verse 3 and 9. It says, you might ponder how you are acknowledging God, God's influence in your life. What blessings come when you acknowledge him? His influence, what are the consequences of not acknowledging him? So I'm going to read those two scriptures to you. Uh, so that it can be a little more clear how God wants us to acknowledge him. And so here we go. It says, And I did cry unto this people, but it was in vain, and they did not realize that it was the Lord that had had spared them and granted unto them a chance for repentance. And behold, they did harden their hearts against the Lord their God. And now because of this great thing which my people, the Nephites, had done, they began to boast in their own strength and began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren who had been slain by their enemies. So there again, they did not acknowledge, they just did not recognize God's hand in sparing them from their enemies. They just thought it was their own doing without guiding or guidance from God. And then the next scripture tells us, let me go to the next one. 
And it came to pass that when they had fled, we did pursue them with our armies and did meet them again and did beat them. Nevertheless, the strength of the Lord was not with us. Yea, we were left to ourselves, that the Spirit of the Lord did not abide in us. Therefore, we had become weak like unto our brethren. So, you know, he shows us more how we are left to our own strength and demise without God if we do not acknowledge his tender mercies in our life. Um, and yet, he has open arms. He is there with open arms. We're going to read those sections now that tells us, as this section says, Jesus Christ stands with open arms to receive me. The Nephites rejected Mormon's teachings, but he had hoped that his record would influence you. As you read Mormon 5, 8 through 24 and 16 through 22, says, What do you learn about the consequences of sin? What do you learn from these passages about Heavenly Father and Jesus' feelings towards you, even when you sin? So these sections, this section here is super important, and it's going to seem like a lot of reading, but oh my gosh, it could not be any more clear. So I hope you spare a few minutes in listening to this reading and contrast. So first I'm going to read Mormon 5, 8 through 24. And it says, And now behold, I, Mormon, do not desire, so this is, goes to the beginning, to harrow up the souls of the men and casting them before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as was laid before mine eyes. But I, knowing that these things must surely be made known and that all things which are hid must be revealed upon their housetops and also that a knowledge of these things must come unto the remnant of these people and also unto the Gentiles who are the who the Lord hath said should scatter this people and this people should be counted as naught among them. Therefore I write a small abridgment daring not to give a full account of the things which I have seen because of the commandment which I have received and also that ye might not have to great sorrow because of the wickedness of these people. And now, behold, this I speak unto you, their seed, and also the Gentiles who have care for those also of the house of Israel that realize and know from whence their blessings come. For I know that such, for I know that such will sorrow for the calamity of the house of Israel, yea, they will sorrow for the destruction of this people, they will sorrow for this people that this people had not repented, that they might have been clasps in the arms of Jesus. Now these things are written unto the remnant of the house of Jacob, and they are written after this manner, because it is known of God that wickedness will not bring them forth unto them, and they are to be hid up unto the Lord, that they may come forth in his own due time. And this is the commandment which I have received. And behold, they shall come forth according to the commandments of the Lord, 
when he shall see fit in his wisdom. And behold, they shall go unto the unbelieving of the Jews, and for this intent shall they go, that they may be persuaded that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that the Father may bring about through his most beloved his great and eternal purpose in restoring the Jews or all the house of Israel to the land of their inheritance, which the Lord their God hath given unto them to the fulfilling of this covenant, and also that the seed of this people may more fully believe his gospel, which shall go forth from the Gentiles for this people, shall be scattered and shall become a dark and a filthy and a loathsome people beyond the description of that which ever hath been amongst us, yea, even that which hath been among the Lamanites, and this because of their unbelief and idolatry. For behold, the Spirit of the Lord hath already ceased to strive with their fathers, and they are without Christ and God in the world, and they are driven about a shaft before the wind. They were once a delightsome people, and they had Christ for their shepherd. Yea, they were led even by God the, the Father. But now, behold, they are led about by Satan, even as a shaft is driven before the wind, or as a vessel it tossed about, open about up upon the waves without sail or anchor, or without anything wherewith to steer her. And even as she is, so are they. And behold, the Lord hath reserved their blessings, which they might have received in the land for the Gentiles who shall possess the land. But behold, it shall come to pass that they shall be driven and scattered by the Gentiles. And after they have been driven and scattered by the Gentiles, behold, they will... Then will the Lord remember the covenant which he hath made unto Abraham and unto all the house of Israel. And also the Lord will remember the prayers of the righteous which have been put up unto him for them. O then, O ye Gentiles, how can ye stand before the power of God except ye shall repent and turn from your evil ways? Know ye not that ye are in the hands of God? Know ye not that he hath all power, and it, and at his great command the earth shall be rolled together as a scroll? Therefore repent ye, and humble yourselves before him, lest he shall come out in justice against you, lest the remnant of the seed of Jacob shall go forth among you as a lion, and tear you in pieces, and there is none to deliver." So, I like how he described th how the wickedness that the people went through in their lives made them so dark and spiritually, they were in total darkness as to who they are, what their purpose was, who God is, and they could not see the hand of God in their lives nor feel his love. They were in total 
darkness. And by contrast, those that believed in Christ could always feel of his love and could feel of him guiding them throughout their lives. So this was, he's calling us to repentance, you know. Know ye not that ye are in the hands of God? Know ye not that he hath all power at his great command? The earth shall be rolled up together as a scroll. I don't know why we become so prideful that we rebel against God. But here's the second portion of this. And my soul was rent with anguish because of the slain of my people, and I cried, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could you have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? Behold, if ye had not done this, ye would not have fallen. But behold, ye are fallen, and I mourn your loss." O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, ye fair ones, how is it that ye could have fallen? But behold, ye are gone, and my sorrows cannot bring your return. And the day soon cometh that your mortal must put on immortality, and these bodies which are now moldering in corruption must soon become incorruptible bodies. And then you must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to your works. And if it so be that ye are righteous, then are ye blessed with your fathers who have gone before you. Or that ye had repented before this great destruction had come upon you. But behold, ye are gone, and the Father, yea, the eternal Father of heaven, knoweth your state. And he doeth with you according to his justice and mercy. So, unreal. This last prophet here, Mormon, is basically describing the great thing that happened here and how these people were destroyed. I hope and pray that... We don't follow in their footsteps that we are the ones that see God's hand in everything because he really is um, extending his hands with open arms. I'll see you next time. This is Rosa Garcia with Why Jesus.